Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Morning. Morning. Let's pray. Dear God, as we come before you, we again are standing in the gifts and the thoroughness and the intentionality and the passion of people who have recorded and passed these words down. We thank you for Matthew who put together this gospel that we might know again how you taught and what you want us to be and do. We thank you again for your love for us and for the kingdom of heaven that has come and broken into us in our lives and how you want to bring it through us to this city and this neighborhood. And we ask for your help. We offer you these minutes together and this morning in your name. Amen. Amen. So again, thank you for letting me be here. This is my third week in a row and I'm really glad to have been here each of those weeks. Some of you may be feeling like, gosh, I hope he gets it right. He's had three times. Let's go. So if you have um, the worship guide, I encourage you to keep it open to what you just heard read. We again are in the Sermon on the Mount uh, all summer and looking at the Beatitudes again for the second week this morning. And um, this week I was struck by a headline in The Guardian. I tried to read The Guardian, the British newspaper, most days online. Um, and uh, this headline was, was great. What is causing outbreaks of rage in grocery store lines and airplanes. What is causing outbreaks of rage? It's a big word, right? It's not just like anger, rage in grocery store lines and airplanes. It's by a woman named Francine Prose, who's known as a short story writer. And she describes being threatened by a man in the grocery store. She and her husband pushed their cart by and got a little too close to this man. He got angry in the grocery store in somewhere in England and threatened she and her husband and said she, he was going to wait outside in the parking lot for them. Now what's striking is Francine Prose is 74 years old. And the man who threatened her, she estimates, is in his 30s. And I bet when that guy got out of bed that day, he didn't think, I hope I can threaten a grandma today. <laughs> But she goes on to describe these incidences of rage throughout the community and the world. Um, the president of the Flight Attendants Association in the U.S. said this recently, we've never before seen aggression and violence on our planes like we have in the past five months. And again, strong words, aggression and violence, not just irritation and frustration. You may have read a couple weeks ago of a Southwest flight from Sacramento to San Diego, which is not that long a flight, <laughs> where 
a flight attendant uh, asked a woman to keep her seatbelt on during the flight and the woman got up and, and punched the flight attendant in the face and the woman lost two teeth, two of her front teeth until, God bless him, another passenger got up and protected the flight attendant. All these signs of how traumatic the past few months have been, all these signs of wanting to rush past the pain and yet you and I still sort of have this feeling, right? This boil a little bit. Maybe you can feel that in yourself. The, the closeness you are to being triggered or frustrated. It's of course funny a little bit to think about a 30-year-old man in a grocery store in England threatening somebody. But it's a lot different when you and I can feel our own frustrations in a, our own stores or neighborhoods or our houses or work. We're surrounded by people in need. Everybody you see, every, here, Anywhere you go today, everybody you see is, is not operating at optimum humanity. <laughs> everybody's in need, everybody's gone through this crazy, painful, disruptive year. So I want you to picture that we're in a movie, okay, and that's sort of the context, right? That's the first third. You and I talked a lot about movies, how movies are structured over the years. And, and you're tasked with solving this need Right? You're going you're gonna to do something about it. And what you'd see on the horizon, if you look at our text this morning, is suddenly, over the horizon, there, there's the cavalry is coming. And what's happening is, that, is there's this new group of people being sent into this world of people punching stewardesses and threatening grandparents. And it's this people changed by the love of this guy named Jesus. There's this new kingdom of heaven. There are these disciples of Jesus that are being sent into this broken world. That's the movie. You and I are being sent, longing to share a different way, changed by the love of Jesus, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, knowing that we are as poor in spirit as the people we are sent to save and as tired and frustrated, maybe even almost on the verge of anger ourselves. And yet we're invited into being a different kind of people. That's what's happening in this series. In this sermon, that's what Jesus is trying to say. You and I are sent to share the good news of Jesus into this broken world. And what Jesus is saying is as we draw near to him, we are blessed. Again, this word again, again, the refrain of the Beatitudes. Remember, we've looked the last couple of weeks. Jesus is making disciples, right? He's not just giving you and I a theological treatise or pamphlet here, hand this around. He's forming people. What he's forming is not a list of things that you and I are to try to just tighten our belts and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps so that we change all our behaviors, but rather as we draw near to him and we realize how amazing his transformation is, we begin to take these fruits on. We begin to see these signs of health in ourselves. Last week again, we started with the first four, which focus particularly on our vertical relationship with God, right? Poverty of spirit, humility, mourning, and then this thirst for something different to bring change to the world. This morning we're going to focus a bit on, on the Beatitudes that, that drive us to love our neighbors and people. And as we do that, I want you to consider a question. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because it might be a little too personal. Do any of you ever feel like people just get in the way? Right? Like don't look at the people you think get in the way if they're here. They, particularly maybe in your relationship with God like if you would be so much holier so much happier with Jesus if not for your roommate or your boss or the people who worked for you or your kids 
or your spouse or your siblings or your parents. If you could just get people out of the way, dang, your life would be awesome. The last couple weeks, I've been watching the Netflix series Drive to Survive. Anybody watch that series? It's about Formula One racing, which I don't care about at all. But I kept hearing people describe it as a great series, and it is a great series. They do a fantastic job of the narratives of people in the driving, right? So it's totally worth watching if you're looking for something really lighthearted to, to watch. Drive to Survive on Netflix. And what they do is the context of, of getting a car. You know, there's only 20 cars who race Formula One around the world. And then the hundreds of people that it takes to get one car on a track with one driver to drive around a lap. Right? And it's amazing, just so you get all the background of aerodynamics and the money and the engineering, and it's phenomenal to get, again, one car on the road. But what happens is you get this one car on the road with 19 other cars, and almost every episode, they build up to one of the races, and then they show from some driver, literally, right, you are the driver from the camera angle. All these cars, what do they do? They start at the same time. And within, almost without fail, within the first lap or two, somebody crashes into somebody. And you've had this buildup, and so at some point you're like, oh my gosh. I, you know, just somebody ease off. Just give it five seconds. Everyone will go away, and then you'll have the whole road to yourself. But of course, the hard part of driving Formula One is not the one guy in one car in one lap. It's all the people getting in the way. Many of you are probably familiar with a man named Patrick Lencioni who does a lot of writing and speaking on business. His probably most well-known book is called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And Lencioni writes about how often he meets with business leaders who say to him, you know, if I, could just, if I could just not have to deal with the people in my company, I could get so much done. People, again, we assume are in the way. But for Jesus, people are not in the way. People are the point. Again, he's making disciples. You and I are the point. He's not come to just share ideas. He's come to create witnesses and disciples and people who can tell of this good news. We're his followers. We're following a new king. If the first Beatitudes are about being salted, the second set is about being the salt, going as his witnesses to other people in the world. Now, much of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is going to build out these two themes, our relationship to God and our relationship to others, right? The two great commandments, loving God and loving our neighbors. And I just want to focus on two this morning that Jesus annotates here. The blessed are the merciful and blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy, which is similar to what we hear in the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And if you study that line in the Lord's Prayer, you see most scholars think it almost should be the first. For as we forgive our trespasses, Trespassers forgive us those who trespass against us. The sense that we have, that we need to learn how to be forgiven, and God, in the changing of us, teaches us to forgive in such a way that we realize we should be forgiving even more quickly than we're asking God to forgive us. One of the commentators I listened to this week described this because we're not earning God's forgiveness or earning His mercy. But what it is, it shows what awareness we have of the mercy we've been extended. So this guy said this week that for him, what he's realized is it's if in the moment I'm asking for mercy, but not extending it to others, I in that, in that moment am not really asking for mercy. 
If in the moment I'm asking for mercy, I'm not extending it to others, I in that moment am not really asking for mercy. I've been in a multi-week conversation with the DMV <laughs> on a car that we bought and trying to get something sorted out on the title that got done incorrectly by, um, inadvertently, on accident, by when we bought it. And if you know the DMV, that's not a community known for mercy, right? They just don't, they don't operate in mercy. So it'd be like if I went to the DMV with my broken title, right? And I, and I knew I needed mercy, and so my body language, the whole thing, I'm just gonna throw myself on the mercy of the DMV. But if underneath that I'm thinking, you jackass, if you can't do what I tell you to do, right? That's what Jesus is saying needs to be different. I need to extend mercy to this person, the DMV, if I expect the mercy myself. And even if I didn't or don't get it from the DMV, it's a sign that we've been moved like we see in the first four. I've realized my own poverty of spirit and how vast God's mercy is to me. This again is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is describing a kingdom where the, the people, the witnesses, demonstrate mercy in a world desperate for it. Mercy is giving kindness and pardon to people who do not deserve it. Kindness and pardon to people who do not deserve it. It's bountiful, it's overwhelming. The only other time the word for mercy here is used in the New Testament is in Hebrews 4, when the writer is describing Jesus as a high priest who came to earth to, and so he would know the mercy to extend to us. Because it's, it's a humbling, back to the first set of Beatitudes, witness to be aware of not only our need, but the people we come in contact. And remember, there's a context in a story behind the people who might be treating us poorly, or begging our own judgment instead of mercy. Right, even in the Guardian article, that 30-year-old man, I think we could all from here say, I bet there's something going on with that 30-year-old man who's threatening this 74-year-old woman in the, in the aisle of a grocery store. As we grow closer to the Lord, we realize the mercy we've received and we begin to extend it and spill forth in it to others with our actions, our words, our lives. If the parable of the prodigal son works for the first Beatitudes, the parable of the Good Samaritan, of course, works here. You can see how profound those two parables are. They just keep coming up. You begin to see the need and to respond. And you begin to realize and ask, Lord, if I cannot extend mercy, it begs more questions about me than the person I can't extend it to. It's a sign that I might not know or be experiencing God's mercy for me when I can't extend it to somebody else. This man, Dale Bruner, says, being a merciful, forgiving, or loving person is not a condition for God's grace. God forgives unmerciful, unforgiving, unloving person all the time. But it is a necessary consequence of God's grace. So as we study our own hearts, we say, Lord, how merciful are we? If you come into contact with somebody, you know somebody who is hard, Right? A scoffer, a mocker, they don't extend mercy. One of the things you might want to ask is, how does this person not know God's mercy for them? Maybe they don't even assume they're worthy of mercifulness from God. And again, we see around us right now that mercy is in deeply short supply. God is sending us to be guides to the kingdom of heaven. One of the striking things about being a Christian is that God is forming you as a disciple. Another way of thinking, God's forming me as a guide in the kingdom of heaven. We're given a map 
But the map is supposed to be sent to people through guides. And you and I are to be guides to God's mercy. And one of the ways we know that we need it is we pray it almost every week, right? What do we say? Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That's a lovely Anglican reminder every week. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Peacemakers. This is a really interesting description. It doesn't say, blessed are those who like peace. It doesn't say, blessed are those who want peace. It doesn't say, blessed are those who meditate and on their own find peace. Or especially doesn't say, not blessed are those who preach peace when there isn't peace. Instead it says, blessed are those who make peace. The assumption is making peace implies there's not peace before that, right? You don't make peace if there's already peace. You make peace if something's broken. Chaos, disorder. And peace, of course, in the kingdom of heaven is this full term, right? Shalom. It's this broad, complete new life, a holistic, bountiful way of looking at the world. As a disciple of Jesus, we know we're growing when we are pursuing that kind of peace and bringing that kind of peace into the environments we're in. Relationally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, mentally. What does shalom look like? It just breaks forth in every direction. It doesn't mean to be an appeaser or ignore real conflict. Matter of fact, it means the opposite, leaning in to need and trouble. If there's a problem, you admit it and you face it and you seek to wage peace in that place. Remember, this is, again, is not a human quality. This is a kingdom of heaven quality. If you feel daunted by the thought of pursuing mercy or daunted by the thought of waging peace, you can say, realize, oh, that's God's characteristic. He will bring that into me and give me the strength to do it because to do it on your own is impossible. It's a condition of being a disciple of Jesus. It requires a change of the heart and the enabling of the Holy Spirit and the community of God to do together. But like worth considering, am I someone who can extend mercy? And what does that say about how I experience God's mercy? You might want to ask, am I in my environments, my circle of influence, am I somebody who brings peace? Or am I somebody who constantly foments discontent? Right? Maybe you find joy in others' trouble, even if you don't demonstrate outside. Maybe you're the omnicritical person at work or home. Maybe you're the employee who can only find problems but not make solutions. If these are things you wrestle with, you might want to say, wow, those are not signs of being a guide to the king of heaven. So a couple just questions to consider as we move to communion in just a few minutes. Maybe this morning, you're someone here and you're having a hard time extending mercy because you don't experience God's mercy for you. You might feel like you're not worthy of it. That if we all knew you and knew what you were like, we wouldn't want to be with you. Maybe you're protective. You're just going around making sure nobody does you wrong because you're scared. And you've never tasted God's mercy for you. If that's you this morning, I would encourage you when we come and we take the communion cups that you just simply offer yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your mercy. I don't deserve it, but wow, you offer it in a bountiful way 
You say I'm blessed. If I offer myself to you, please, Lord, in your mercy, help me. In the same way, maybe you are somebody this morning who you're like, there is someone it doesn't take long to think about who I have a really hard time extending mercy to. Maybe it's someone you need to forgive or someone who is sort of, maybe they're the omnicritical person at your work and you're not that person but you know they are and you just want to hide them in a cubicle somewhere under a chair. And you need to ask God, Lord, help me be a guide to the King of Mercy by the way I show mercy to this person. Even if they don't deserve it because you don't deserve it either. So mercy. And then peacemakers. What does it mean? One of the things I love about being with you, you guys have such a clear line of sight between who you want to be as a church and the way you live the other six days of the week in Vienna. You pursue wholeness and peace and shalom in such vivid ways here. And I encourage you to be thinking over the next few weeks about are there ways that you're itchy to do that as you, you exit sort of the outside time and you enter back in to inside worship in the fall? Because, again, I think we're surrounded by people who are exhausted and burnt. And I think particularly over my shoulder, you guys have an amazing opportunity for that high school. I think literally everybody who steps across the threshold of that high school in September is exhausted right now. Every teacher, every staff member, probably every student. I talked to a friend of mine this week. I just read on a walk the article in The Guardian and I ran into a friend of ours who's a nurse. And she was talking about how the last year and a half, when they ran out of physical need, people with physical needs, they had full slates of appointments with people who are struggling with anxiety, particularly kids. And you, you of all the Anglican churches I know in the Northern Virginia area have a clear line of witness to your neighborhood to bring peace. You could, I don't know what it could be, I'm gonna leave the creativity to you, but if, if I were you, I think there are amazing opportunities to be some sort of peacemaker for the first week of school to this place. Because they trust you, they know you, you love them, you got an easy, easy telling them why we belong to the peacemaking king and we just want to bring peace to you and mercy to you. Or as I said before, blame it on the visiting priest. This weird priest came and said, do this. Our priest knows something about our, our Johnny and he made Johnny do it. I don't know, come up with a reason. But it's such a lovely witness you have and it could be an amazing impact for a really needy community in a few weeks. Let's pray. Dear Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We cry for your mercy, and you know so often we want it for ourselves, but have such a difficult time extending it to others. Make us merciful guides who draw people to the King of mercy and the King of shalom. Lord, anyone here this morning who is not tasting your peace and mercy because there's something they're hiding or afraid of a way they see themselves, or a pain, an injury, Lord. We offer them to you together. Maybe they can't even cry out to you, Lord, in your mercy, hear my prayer. But we cry on their behalf that they would taste afresh your mercy for them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.